All right. So um, first, uh, John, you, when we were talking earlier, you were um, mentioning that you have uh, a couple different places. Uh, where, where are your locations at? So we're located, our main office is in Sacramento on University Avenue. I also have the office in Elk Grove, which is actually where I'm at today. And we have a couple offices in the Bay Area. We have Walnut Creek off of Treat Boulevard right there off 680, and then one in Campbell down by San Jose. Yeah, and it's it's kind of nice because you're right over off of University. You're right here, Central Sacramento. Pretty much easy to get to. Um, and uh, now, how long yeah, have you been... I was going to say that was kind of the idea. So I started out here in Elk Grove back in 2003 and I worked down here for about 10 years. And then in 2013, I moved up to Sacramento just because I wanted to get that greater Sacramento market. And people still had this idea that going to Elk Grove, it was a long trip, you know, yeah, all, the way, yeah. all the way down eight miles or whatnot. If I would <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was a, a huge success and the business has really expanded, you know, by leaps and bounds from there. And then in 2018, one of the attorneys that I used to work with in Elk Grove retired, so I took over his practice and uh, moved into his suite. So I've, these two offices, Sacramento and Elk Grove, are fully staffed. We've got okay. different attorneys working in both of these offices. So now you've been doing this since 2003, you said? Correct. Okay. Okay. Where'd you, did you go to law school here in Sacramento as well? I went to law school in Fresno at a school called Oak Brook College of Law. That's a okay. small school there. Nice, nice. And so the main reason I brought you on is to kind of go over uh, like pretty much the importance of a trust. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of, I do a ton of loans. I have a, a lot of people that come across my desk that some people have trusts, some people have a bunch of assets and stuff, but they're not in a trust. It, they might not be married. There's all kinds of like things that I see. And I, I, I try to tell them like, hey, you guys need to do this. Um, what would you say is the main goal when getting a trust? Yeah, so I would say most people come to my office and they don't necessarily think they're coming in for a trust. Some do, you know, they've heard about trust, they've talked to you or they've talked to friends and they say, you got to do a living trust. Others come in and they say, I want to do a will. You know, I just want a plan. I want to designate an executor. I want somebody to take care of my kids, you know, if something happens to me. And yeah. so really... You know, usually there's a couple different major uh, driving, I think, forces for people. One is they want to avoid probate. They want to avoid paying the government. They want to avoid the hassles of administration that go with that. But the other is, especially if they have minor kids, they would just want to make sure that their families are taken care of. And so those are really the two main purposes that I see for people setting up trusts. So, okay. So then that means like, so when, when it comes down to that, should, should, everybody like is a trust good for everybody like or do you should you have assets and stuff like that before yeah you great that's a, a great question and there are certainly circumstances where a trust is not necessary or it doesn't make sense but i would say the general rule of thumb for me is that a trust is going to make sense in probably 90 percent of cases where people have any significant assets you know there's different okay. ways to pass assets to heirs you can do it by beneficiary designations you can set up joint tenancies. There's different ways of doing it. Um, but there are a lot of benefits that a trust has to offer that go beyond just simply transferring assets. So usually the conversation I have with people is, what you know, yes, you want to transfer assets in a way that eliminates probate. It makes it as easy as possible for your heirs. But what happens if your circumstances change from the day that you're sitting here in my office 
until that day when you pass away and you haven't made any changes to your plan. So for instance, let's say, you know, the parents are here, they've got three kids, the kids are all grown, they all have kids of their own. So they've got grandkids and they set up a plan that says, I want to give everything to my three kids, period. And then there's no other provision after that. <laughs> That's what they're doing when they have beneficiary designation set up with the bank or their financial advisor, right? Yeah. And, and that, as long as the three kids all outlive, you know, that couple, that plan works perfectly well. It works great. Um, but what happens if one of the kids passes away or what if they get in an accident and they have, you know, a lot of liability issues that surround them? What happens to the inheritance that they're going to receive later when the, my clients pass away? So we talk about the contingencies and how to plan for the unforeseen. That's part of our planning process. Yeah. So what would you, okay. So you mentioned earlier a will. So what is the difference between a will and a trust? And uh, I mean, is a, is a will just kind of a, a trust light, like a bud light, but a trust light, <laughs> a trust light, trust <laughs> yeah. light. Uh, a will is not a trust light. So a will, okay. a will is better than doing nothing because you give some indication of who you'd like your executor be. You can designate asset gifts to any individuals that you want. You can do that through a will. What people often don't understand is that a will has to be probated in the same way as your estate would go through probate if you had nothing at all. Oh, so wow. unless your estate value is less than $166,250, that's the current threshold. So if, if you have a small estate, then there are some exceptions. But if your estate is more than that, and obviously anybody who owns real estate, it's going to be way over that. Um, yeah, you know, that will is going to go through the probate process. And wow. whereas a trust is not. And so that's the main advantage that a simple trust offers as compared to any sort of a will is it avoids the probate process, which a will does not. And so could you have both? Look, so you always hear those legal Zoom commercials. I hate to bring up. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, hey, I, I don't mind legal say, Zoom because I make a lot of money off legal Zoom plans. So. <laughs> yeah, I bet you know. <laughs> So uh, if, if you have a, they, they always pitch like on, on those commercials, you should have both. Is that something you need? Absolutely. And okay. I, I've seen some attorneys who had a practice of not preparing wills and conjecture with trust. I just think that's a mistake. There's no okay. reason not to. So what I do and what most attorneys do is they'll have a, a core trust that's the basis for the plan. But then there are some ancillary documents that go with that. And part of that is having a pour over will. And the pour over part is, we just want to make sure that if assets get left out of the trust, those assets can come back into the trust. They can be added in later. We call it pouring over, pouring into the trust. Okay. That's so a backup okay. plan. Now, uh, as you said, uh, with the, I make more, I make money on the legal zoom. Um, so uh, that is, is there like some drawbacks to a trust if it's not, I mean, would you say that there's any drawbacks to a trust if it's not done properly? Oh yeah, Chris. I mean, I I can show you walls of files that are full of cases that are, you know, based on trust that weren't done as well as they could have been. And honestly, you know, there, there can be really simple trust. I've seen some self-done trust that worked out great. Um, I've seen legal zoom trust that worked out great. I've seen some fancy trusts that were complete train wrecks. Um, <laughs> you know, but more often than not, it's the self done trust. It's a thing that came off the internet where people, they don't have all the tools at their disposal. They don't know which questions to ask. And so they end up creating documents that are, they don't really work as well as they could. 
And so they create problems that could have been avoided with some simple planning and relatively inexpensive, you know, attorney guidance. You know, I think when we're talking about fees, we're talking a couple thousand dollars at the outset to avoid tens of thousands of dollars of problems when you're gone. It's, yeah. To me, it's an, an easy solution, but you do have to get a good attorney, right? So I would say not all attorneys are created equal. I'm a certified specialist in probate trust and estate law. And there are a lot of good probate trust and estate specialists here in the Sacramento region. There's also a lot of people that just do trusts on the side. Maybe they do criminal defense or they do personal injury, and then they'll also write a trust now and then. And those aren't the people you want to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Try to get somebody out of jail versus, yeah. Right. I, I could see that. that could be a little different. Um, and then, so when you were talking earlier, you were, you were saying like the different things that can go into trust. So can everything go into it? Can all property go into a trust? Can your business go into a trust? Can, you know, your jewelry go into a trust? Like what can go in there? And how, yeah. So I think that? of a trust like a box and we can add assets to that trust at different times. Some assets can be added during lifetime. So your house can go into the trust during your lifetime. Typically attorneys will draft the trust with a schedule A attached to it. And it'll have a list of everything that the, the client wants to have included at that point. Typically it's going to okay. be the house. Might be brokerage accounts, might be you know savings accounts, maybe checking accounts, vehicles, things like that. So we can list those off as, as assets. What you can't add to the trust, however, are any sort of qualified plans. So 401ks, 403bs, IRA accounts, um, those can't be put into a trust while you're alive. Because by definition, those are individual accounts. They have to be held by an individual, not by an entity. Okay. What you can, not to get into the weeds too much, but what you can do is when you pass away, you could designate the trust as a beneficiary of those types of accounts. And that's a conversation that I have with clients. Sometimes it makes sense to do it. Sometimes it doesn't. So there's pros and cons to weigh between you know, tax disadvantages versus protection of assets. There are retirement plan trusts that are a little bit more of a sophisticated technique that can also be employed that would defer taxation over a 10-year period for withdrawals of a 401k or IRA. You know, but those are techniques or tools that can be used in, I would say, more sophisticated planning. But the general rule of thumb is, yes, you can put basically everything can go into the trust other than qualified accounts. Okay, cool. And then, um, so do you, uh, like, who's your, who do you usually have as like your, your designated trustee? Like, oh, who do you pick or who's an ideal one to have? Right. Great question. And that's the question that many clients, they come up to that and that, that just trips them up and it takes them months or years to come to a decision, especially when you have a couple, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and there's not a right answer. Traditionally, people will choose their children. They might choose them by order of age, you know, and their oldest, you know, daughter, maybe she's, you know, financially responsible. She makes a lot of sense. But what I see oftentimes, we, we pick them in order of age and the oldest one's not the right choice. You know, you've got maybe the youngest one is the right choice if you're going to choose a child. So you got to really think through the pros and cons and also the relational aspects. Who gets along best with the other siblings? If you've got, you know, three or more children, you know, maybe there's one that, that has better relationships with the others. And, and so we're trying to avoid relational conflicts, right? Yeah. And the more I practice, the more I see these things play out, the more important I see that being in the decision-making of who you're choosing. You can choose children. You could also, if you decide not to do that, you could choose you know, professional advisors. There are professional fiduciaries that you can choose. 
you know, of course they charge a fee, but I think it's well worth it to have a third party administer a trust. So that's an option as well. Okay, that's kind of funny. I was just going to ask you about that. Like, <laughs> could you have somebody else do it if you don't like want any of the kids doing it? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I've seen clients you know, will choose a friend, a trusted advisor. You know, maybe they had a CPA that they, you know, have worked with for forty years, and the CPA says, "Yeah, I'm happy to serve in that capacity." That could be an option or an attorney. I don't do it myself, but um, okay. you know, those are yeah, different. A lot of different choices out there. And then, so in the real estate, we run into this quite a bit where a house, you know, it can't sell for six months or eight months because it's in probate. What exactly is probate? What does that mean? Yeah. So probate is the court administrative process for administering estates. So the way it works is you file an initial petition and it gets set for hearing. Used to be in Sacramento County, we'd get hearings within 60 days. Right now they're setting them out about five months. Due to COVID delays, and believe it or not, Sacramento is one of the more efficient counties. Still, I've got counties. I'll give you Santa Santa Clara County. They were setting them out about six or seven months a while back, um, and that's just for the initial hearing, so you can open the probate. Then, once the estate is open, somebody gets appointed. They get what's called letters of administration, and that gives them the authority to move forward with the sale. Like in your situation, you're going to be selling a house, right? So yeah. then, when they sell the house. If they don't have full authority, if they have what's called limited authority under the probate code, they have to go back to court for approval. So I'll give you a real life scenario of a case that I had down in, in Santa Clara County. We had an administrator appointed. We went through the process. He got to the point of being ready to sell the house. So he got a contract in place with the buyers. Fortunately, the buyers were, uh, they had a house, they lived in the neighborhood. They just really wanted this lot and they were gonna develop a new house on it. So they weren't in a big hurry. And that was a saving grace for us because when we filed our petition to confirm the sale, the court hearing date, we filed it in August, the court hearing date came back in March. So can you imagine in the meantime, this buyer is sitting there from August until March waiting for a hearing at which they don't know for sure that they're gonna be confirmed as the buyer because there's a bidding process. When we went in in March, other bidders had the opportunity to come in and overbid the buyer who'd been waiting since August Wow. for that house and they could have lost it you know then and there so fortunately it all worked out but i mean it was a huge headache for everybody and you know that's why people they want to avoid having to subject their heirs you know their loved ones to going through that probate process and so that's <laughs> i mean that's to get us from just the first hearing and then you got you know sell the house there's all sorts of other things that go into it as far as accountings and getting inventories filed with the court valuations things like that it's just a lot of work and it sounds like that probably the more work, it starts racking up the costs and it eats into what can be. It does. Right. Yeah. And so the fees for probate are typically, they start out, there's what's called a statutory fee and it's based on the value of the estate, the gross value. So it's 4% on the first 100,000 value, 3% on the next 100,000 in value, and then 2% on the balance up to a million, and then 1% from one to 10 million. And after that, it's subject to court, court approval. Um, but those are the fees for the attorney. The executor is entitled to the same fee. So you figure on a million dollar gross estate. So a lot of times you'll have a house, especially down in the Bay Area, you got a house and the gross value is a million bucks for the you know garage, right? Yeah. And so in those cases, you're looking at a $23,000 attorney fee and $20,000, $23,000 executor fee, plus you got court costs of three to $5,000 just 
as the base statutory fee. And then on top of that, there's what's called extraordinary fees, which would relate to assistance with sale of the property and different things. So it's the fees do add up. Wow. And so do, do trusts, do they like avoid, uh, well, first off, do they avoid a lot of those fees? Plus, do they avoid estate a uh, taxes or probate taxes, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So trusts are much more efficient. So they're not free, right? So I always yeah. recommend that trustees get an attorney, make sure that they're dotting the right I's and crossing their T's correctly. Um, so I would say, generally speaking, a simple trust administration is going to be in the $5,000 range. Okay. Uh, start to finish. And that's just a general rule of thumb. You know, there's going to be ones that are a lot more expensive. There's also going to be some that are less. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you just answered. <laughs> I was like, I was wondering how much they cost. So you just kind of like uh, summed it up real quick. That's awesome. Uh, and then now are you taking on any new clients? Um, I know you're, you're kind of growing. Are you, uh, are you still, still growing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We are. Yeah, because you brought on a new partner, what, in the past year or so? Yeah, so Ben came on. It's about 2014. He joined our firm. And then two years ago, he became a shareholder. And last year, we rebranded as Huber Fox. Nice, nice. Group. Yeah. And how many people did, how many extra people did that bring on to help you out? Yeah, so we have a staff of 10 right now. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And so let then, me give so, you. What was that? I was going to say, if I kind of like to give you a couple examples of scenarios, like real life scenarios of families that have gone through the process, oh, either yeah, from for the sure. side or, or from the trust side, just so we can kind of see how it actually plays out in real life. Yeah. Um, you know, so let me give you, I'll start with one that's that's a good example. I'm going to call her Alice. Obviously, I can't give you real client information because of confidentiality, yeah. but let's call her Alice. Um, she comes into my office. She's got several kids. She's older, you know, kind of that scenario we, we kind of touched on. Um, she sets up a plan. We get all of her assets transferred into the trust during her lifetime. Then when she passes away, well, let's back up. What happens during the process before she passes away, right? So she's living at home. Then she moves into an assisted care facility because she can no longer manage her own, you know, health decisions. She can't manage her finances. She needs assistance, right? So she moves into assisted living. Yeah. So in that process, a plan that's properly structured is going to have documents, a power of attorney, advanced healthcare directive that really provide for lifetime care of the client, right? If you yeah. don't have those in place, we're going to have to go to court for what's called a conservatorship. And the conservatorship is a lengthy court process. It's like probate on steroids because it's from the time you set it up through the end of their life and you've got to account to the court first year and then every two years after that. So a whole lot of work uh, just to have somebody designated to act for you. And so because Alice had a proper power of attorney and a proper advanced healthcare directive, her agent was able to step in and take care of things for her without having to go to court. Um, so then she continues living in assisted living. When she passed away, circumstances had changed. So one of her kids had passed away and that child had left a couple minor children. If she had done nothing at all, what would have happened is her estate would have gone through probate and the minor children, their shares would have been transferred to their guardian, their legal guardian, it's possible, depending on the value of the estate, the court might have required us to set up a guardianship for the minor children as well, which is a whole nother separate court process. Wow. 
Um, and then when they turned 18, they'd be entitled to their entire inheritance. So Alice's estate, estate was worth about $3 million. There were three children. The one that passed away had two children. So each of them would have gotten $500,000 when they turned 18. Do you know any 18-year-olds that should be taking $500,000? <laughs> That's just the worst idea ever. Right? It's the worst idea ever. And yeah. so but because Alice had a proper plan, everything worked through the trust. And so the trust said, if a, a beneficiary passes away, their share is going to be held in trust for the benefit of their children until those beneficiaries reach the age of 25, which I still think is a little young, but I think cool. it's kind of like a, a rule of thumb, let's start with that. And most clients say, yeah, we kind of like 25. Some will do, you know, half at 25, half at 30. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot better than 18, right? And so yeah. in the meantime, if they go to college, the trustee can use funds for their health, their education, their maintenance, their support, and, you know, pay for their tuition, buy them a car, things, whatever the trustee thinks, you know, are appropriate expenditures. Yeah. But they're not going to take the money at 18 and, you know, go to... Vegas. wherever they're going to go with it right you know yeah. <laughs> they, go yeah. to, they go to miami and the money's gone so they'll be like one of those child stars you know they'll be like ricky schroeder you know right right <laughs> yeah so that's an example of one you know that worked out well and so kind of the converse of that you flip that coin and you get a scenario i'm going to call this guy bill you know bill's a do-it-yourselfer he does everything himself builds his own house you know he's never asked for help in his life be embarrassed to do that and he's certainly never going to ask for a professional advisor to give him you know advice and, and charge him for it he's not going to yeah. go to an attorney so and he's not going to go to a doctor either right one of these guys so bill one day is out you know he's got a couple of horses his dog those are his best friends he's got a girlfriend he's been with for 10 years he has no children never been married um, his parents are gone. He's got one estranged sister that he hasn't seen in 20 years. And so Bill's, you know, living his life. He's got his girlfriend, he's got his horse, he's got his dog, right? Yeah. Uh, one day he's out on his tractor, has a heat stroke and he dies. And so his best friend comes to me and, you know, best friend's David. David comes to me and says, you know, Hey, Jonathan, what do I do with Bill's estate? You know, his estranged sister, she lives three States away. He hasn't seen her in 20 years. Bill just told me he wants to make sure that everything, um, no matter what, he doesn't want anything to go to the government, doesn't want anything to go to his sister, but he didn't leave a will, he didn't leave a trust, he didn't leave anything. So what's going to happen? Well, the sister is going to come in, she's going to file probate, she files a probate, she gets appointed as the administrator, the court says, yes, you have priority under the law to be the administrator because you're the sole heir, she takes over everything, she gets everything, you know, she ships the horses off, I don't even know where they went. Who knows what happened to the dog? She probably shot it. Um, you know, right? You know, and, that's, and she didn't yeah. give a rip. She sold everything, took the money and, and ran. And that was the end of his estate, right? It total disaster because there was no planning whatsoever. You know, in the meantime, of course, you know, it probably made him happy. She had to pay $23,000 to an attorney to go to the through the probate process, plus a few thousand dollars in court costs, right? But that, yeah. I mean- and if she had been administering the same estate for somebody else, she would have taken her own fees. So you're looking at $50,000 to go through this process. It took about two years to go through. So that's a scenario. And that's not an, an uncommon situation. I honestly, I see these cases every single day. I've got tons of cases right now that are very similar to that. And it's, it's amazing. You know, people, they don't think they're going to die. They just don't. They think I'm going to live forever. And if I don't, somebody else can figure it out. That's the mentality. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, a couple things that you said that that uh, sparked a couple more questions. So you mentioned like the way that the first story that you you mentioned, you said that uh, she, she constantly like she kept you up to date. So how often should you update your trust? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that every three to five years is a good general rule of thumb. I always tell clients to keep an eye out. You know, if you see something in the news that's a huge, you know, it's a state related, give me a call. Let me know if, you know, I can take a look at your documents, make sure everything's still up to speed. If you win the lottery, you get an inheritance, you know, you get divorced, you get married, you got, you know, have new kids, any family changes like that. You definitely want to call me or call your attorney and just touch base, make sure that everything is still up to par. Okay. Um, but otherwise I'd say three to five years if in the absence of anything else, just, just check in. Nice. And then you mentioned uh, a couple other things, power of attorney and advanced directive. So uh, A, what is advanced directive? And B, what is the power of attorney? Yeah. So the advanced directive typically comes with a healthcare power of attorney. And that's a document that designates an agent or agents to make medical decisions for you, typically if you're incapacitated. Okay. So that's what that is. And usually within that document, there's going to be some other directives too. So if you want organ donation, you can designate that. Your you know, preferences for life support will be designated there. Cremation or burial can be designated there. So there's some different things you can do, but it's a medical document. Okay. And then the other one is the power of attorney. Typically, it's going to be a general durable power of attorney that designates agents to make financial decisions for you if you can't make your own financial decisions. And that will cover uh, different assets, you know, it'll cover the assets that are not held in the trust. So a power of attorney will allow agents to manage your 401k, your IRA account, your qualified accounts, right? That can't be in the trust. It will okay. also allow them to pay your bills, just do all the day-to-day -day type things while you're alive. And then once you pass away, the power of attorney goes away at that point. Okay. So uh, that being said, like they can't just take the power of attorney, go buy themselves a new house, you know, that kind of stuff. Choose your agents carefully. That's what I would say. So, <laughs> so your agent would be your trustee then? at the is Typically the is? trustee and the agent are the same people, but it doesn't have to be. So I think okay. it was different hats. So you could have, let's say, and I have clients that will do this. They've got a trustee that they really want. They feel like this person is the right person to administer the trust after they're gone, but okay. they're not local. And so they want somebody local who's going to be there and can collect their mail and pay their bills and do the day-to-day -day type things. And so they may choose somebody else to be the power of attorney, okay. rather, you know, and rather than choosing the same person for both. Perfect. Now, uh, so uh, all that being said, where can uh, people get a hold of you? Where, like, if they want to give you a, uh, give you a call, set up an appointment to come in, get their trust done. Where can, you know, agents refer you, people that are buying a house, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I'll give you two things. One is our phone number and the other is our website. So our phone number is 916-525-7980. That's our main office number. It rings to all the offices and somebody will okay. pick up. Um, and the other is our website, which is www.huberfox.com, H-U-B-E-R-F-O-X.com. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this was a ton of knowledge, uh, super helpful. Um, and uh, I'm going to get this out to a bunch of agents I know that also uh, want to, you know, kind of take up their game and start getting some people set up the right way, you know. Awesome, Chris. Well, thanks for the All time. Right.
Of course. Take Thank care. you. Have a great day. Right. See you. Bye.